Welcome to the Gamers Inn. Come on in, pull up a chair next to the fire. It looks like you've had a long journey. I'm your host, Jocelyn, and joining me as always is my co-host, Ryan. Hello, Ryan. Hello. Uh, watch out that a, uh, a little girl doesn't run into your room and take you back 300 years. Just be careful. Yeah, grab your arm and like, oh my God. Okay, so yeah, guys, <laughs> we are going to be talking all about our experience with Little Hope. Um, we are going to do it. Uh, we're, we are going to do spoilers. Uh, we're going to talk about our experiences. Then we're going to go and do the news. And then we're going to come back to the ending because... You can pretty much talk about Little Hope uh, in the like the majority of the game with no problems because there's a lot of it's a narrative experience. There's a lot of different choices and your playthroughs will probably differ from our playthrough. But the ending itself has the potential to just spoil the entire story. So we're going to keep that spoiler completely quiet and completely separate from the rest of the stuff that we talk about off the top of the show. So if you are interested in Little Hope at all, we're going to talk about that now. Then we're going to go through all the news and then you can just shut off the podcast <laughs> and just completely avoid the big final uh, spoiler that we're going to talk about. So I'm excited to talk about this game because I was a pretty big fan of Man of Medan. And because of that, I was really looking forward to Little Hope. It looked... um creepy but different because man of medan was all about the ship right so it was very small and it was lots of enclosed spaces and it was very claustrophobic but little hope is about traversing a town so i was like oh this is gonna be so much better it's gonna be outside i'm not gonna have that crazy in my face claustrophobic feeling well that was wrong <laughs> <laughs> somehow you were totally outside in the woods and they still made you feel like you were in a teeny tiny submarine hallway <laughs> in some spots. Yeah. Yeah. Th this game, although, you know, I'll say with little hope, it really felt like there were more open areas than, uh, than in man of Medan. And we talked about this last episode with amnesia rebirth, where there were these moments or these perceived moments of sort of safe space. And you get that in Little Hope more than I remember having in Man and Medan. You have some key moments in, in Little Hope where it's like you're in the bar and outside of the creepy guy who's not really paying attention to you at the bar, it's it's a safe spot to kind of explore and play some darts and, and just kind of, uh, you know, have a moment of respite. <laughs> but uh, even in those open areas, there's there's uh, it's pretty much you know, run and gun for the, for the rest of the game. After that, there's, there aren't a lot of quiet spots. There's a lot of just these, uh, you know, steady moments of, of fear and surprise. Yeah. Um, and I found too, I, and I think that this is, this is part of the co-op gameplay. And I think this happened a little bit with uh man of Medan as well, though. I think, um, your gameplay pace was a little bit faster than Josh's and I'm slower than both of you. So, um, but there's definitely some points in the story where you and your co-op partner are both in areas that um, have the potential to be explored. Hmm. And that's kind of how the pacing goes is like, you'll both be playing through moments of like quick time events that are very much like, their name implies very timed. So you'll, you'll both start and finish a sequence at the same time. And then there's other points of exploration 
with something that you interact with that will further the story. And whoever finds that first, it'll push both sides of the co-op story forward, right? So there were a lot of times, like, I mean, secret-wise, we definitely didn't find everything. And there's no way to necessarily tell what is a, what's a collectible and what is a story point, right? So there would be some times where I would interact with something or I would open, you know, what I, or like look at what I thought was a wall that would then turn into like the way out or something. And I was like, oh man, like I, I, I thought that I could just like peer through this crack, but then I ended up pulling the board aside and, and squeezing through. And then it's like shutting off the whole room behind me sort of thing, because there is no going back. Like once you go forward, that's it. Yeah. Um. So, and, and I think that's because it's it's meant to be played co-op, right? So if I get to the point where I'm through to the next room, it has to push Ryan too. So the game just won't let you go back. Yeah, um, I'll say about those moments. Um, you know, we we were we were playing, we were streaming, so uh, I wasn't too concerned about like moving out of an area too quickly. I think really like if you're going for all the collectibles, because there are these little hints and collectibles you can find throughout the game. That's probably best explored single player. Uh but then again, like if you're finding your um the premonition pictures that give you an idea of what could happen um down the road in the game, uh you would find them, I would find them, and unless unless I picked up the same object, I wouldn't wouldn't see that stuff, but we could still communicate over Discord about what we had found. But I wish there were more clear signs of you know, um, either on my side or your side that when I cross this invisible line, I am forcing my co-op partner to, to continue. And I think that's one weakness of this game that a lot of other co-op experiences have been really good with. I know it's cliche of like, you know, you get to a point, it's like, oh, come help me with this door. And you end up sitting there holding the door until your co-op partner comes over to grab the other side of the door to, yeah. to help. Like, it, <laughs> But it, there, it never forces you to do something, right? It, no, but but in this Which game... You, little Hope, it leans into like forcing people to move on, which mm-hmm. I think is probably the better choice narratively, but the worst choice for collectible purposes, right? Like, yeah. It, like, it made a lot of sense because it's like a lot of the... A lot of the trigger points were things like, hey, I found a big story moment or like, oh, my God, a ghost is chasing me <laughs> or, you know, you open the door and you get pulled into the past or something or like, you know, they were they were big moments that had a little bit of um, like shock and or surprise to them. And it's like if you open the door and there's this like um, little girl with black eyes and a bonnet standing there yeah. ready to pull you into the past. And I have to be standing there holding the door, staring at this little ghost. <laughs> just give me a second. I, my co-op partner yeah. <laughs> looking at a doll yeah, or something. Just, Ryan's got to find all the postcards. Yeah. Just hang on there. <laughs> just, uh, just hold on. Creepy demon lady. I exactly I, like you're, you're, you're you know? absolutely right. It was handled really elegantly in a way where when you progressed the, the gameplay, uh, my AI partner would say, Hey, come look at this thing. And then that would push me like from a design perspective, they really did a great job at stitching that all together. And to the moments of, so we played at co-op and, and to the moments of playing co-op, I would be hearing 
Jocelyn's conversation <laughs> in in my game. Like I I beat, yeah, me too, me too. And oh, was, I thought you meant me me screaming. <laughs> well, no, I yeah, we we should talk about that. But let me finish. This thought here is basically like you know that bar scene is a good example. Um, there was a lot of walk and talk scenes where. Um, from a co-op perspective it'd be like oh ryan is controlling these two characters and jocelyn is is with these two characters but we'd be in proximity of each other so i would be hearing you know off in the distance the conversation that jocelyn is having in game uh her characters are having and it was really cool to like what are they talking about like i'm clearly missing a part of the game that i'll experience when i go back and play solo but i'm still it's still happening so it really feels like our, it's a co-op experience, but we are experiencing two parts of the game simultaneously. And uh, obviously through our communication, I, I was like getting um, bits and the bits Some and pieces. Context. Of, yeah, <laughs> context. And uh, the whole mechanics of uh, the way the game would shift you around different locations, even like you'd be you know different times different places in in the in the area of the game and we would come back together and then we would split apart again like it was really cool it was almost like you and I, your characters and my characters had like a long range radio that could you know mm-hmm. traverse space and time which was really neat <laughs> uh but <laughs> but it was like it, it was a really cool experience but uh yeah you screaming was almost more scary but i think I think I could kind of hear, I could, a lot of the stuff that, that got you, I saw coming in the sense that in this game, you are, uh, you, you, you're in a bus crash, you have to divert through Little Hope, and on your way through Little Hope, the bus crashes, and then you're in this t- abandoned town, and you're kind of traversing through, and you quickly find these, like, I don't know what they're called, but if you've seen Blair Witch, you've seen, like, the witch you know dolls like the witch sticks what are they i don't know what they're called i should have looked it up ahead of time but they're, they're like little <laughs> i know figures. what you mean though they're like the the little stick men like the they're little men made out of sticks but, yeah 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 i kind of like witch sticks it's like fish sticks <laughs> but not as delicious uh <laughs> depends how you feel about witches <laughs> i sure i mean if the yeah if the witches are like just battered fish you know like if you get like a like a uh, like a like a special cookie that's like shaped in the th- like that's just what it is it's just a it's a fish stick but it's a halloween fish stick i don't know <laughs> oh my god <laughs> anyways back to what i was gonna say um so you 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 find these like witch sticks witch sticks yeah you write that down and uh and basically you 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 start seeing this little girl uh kind of pop up you know nonchalant she's just in the forest and then she would like grab you and when she grabs you, she turns all white and gooey, and she's got like an old school 1700s bonnet on you. And that transports you to the 1700s where these like witch trials are going on. And every time that happened, without a doubt, Jocelyn would scream bloody murder. Not like every <laughs> Not single every, time. The first and time you literally so... broke your controller. I mean, we yeah, have the to first time I did break my controller. Yes, yeah. I definitely did. Um, <laughs> and so, and it turns out actually, I didn't break the controller. I oh. broke the cord. So well, I actually good. have another cord now, so I can still use my controller with my PC, which is good. Um, but yeah, I definitely, um, I definitely broke the connection within that uh, <laughs> within that cable. Um, but anyways, uh, that's neither here nor there. No. <laughs> the point is. Um, Um, that is probably my biggest nitpick with this game. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it had a great story start to end. 
I thought there were some truly creepy environments that really made me uneasy. Like I mentioned, um, like Man of Medan was very claustrophobic in that you were in a ship and there were a lot of narrow hallways and small rooms and stuff because obviously you have to maximize your space on a ship, right? Um, and in this case, there were so many times where like I'd be walking down the middle of a road in like with with forest and paths on either side sort of thing. And I felt like I didn't want to stray from like the center line of the road because I was worried something was going to get me like they did a good job of making it open, but close, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, but my biggest nitpick with this is definitely uh, the little jumpy bonnet girl, because the I had a really hard time balancing the sound in the game because I wasn't 100% sure. And I know that like they want those moments where, I mean, every type of horror does this, right? Is there's like an actual... Um, like time official like timing to it it has a name i can't remember what it's called but it's like you start the sound of the jump scare like two frames or something like that before the visual of the jump scare and it like creates this like physiological response in people it's like literally the proper way to do a jump scare anyways so like that that really loud sound I couldn't figure out which um, like which thing controlled that because the, so the rest of my game would be pretty quiet. And then all of a sudden I'd like blow my ears out oh. when this little girl would jump out at me. And the first few times it was legit terrifying, but they used it. I felt they really overused it. And I wish that they had, um, I don't know, either like pulled you into the past less or had you like even just like if you like walked into a room or something and then like when you opened the door you were actually opening a door into the past or something yeah. or like there was a time when you were in the museum and then one of the one of the mannequins that was hanging like the rope broke and they fell and if like that would be enough to to pull you into the past to like see uh the one of the hanging deaths or something like that like I wish they'd kind of mixed it up because the little girl jumping out was just like, if it's enough that I start to get like numb to it over a three to four hour experience, then you're probably overusing it because I'm very easy to scare. <laughs> yeah. The, the, so you would go back in time with these moments and you're right. They're all, and that's where, for me, I, I think early on, um, I think right with the first scare, I was like, okay, when the little girl pops up, she is gonna pull I'm you pretty back sure I got the first one. Um, I think it because was a I duel. grabbed the not... little. Oh, no, yeah, I grabbed did. the little when I when I broke my controller. I think that was the first jump back in time mm -hmm. moment. And um, yeah, it was. I picked up the doll and then I turned over the doll and it was like, oh, you found a secret. And I was like, cool. <laughs> and then I looked up and there was a little girl and I was like, oh no, things are not okay. And then, and then I got grabbed. She like reached out and grabbed me and then little girl ghoul face popped up and, yeah. and yeah, I shrieked and jumped and, and all the rest of it. <laughs> I think the clip is literally uh, me saying, you should not pick that up. You should put that yeah. down. And then the girl- <laughs> and I'm like, no, it'll be fine. Yeah, sure. And, and I think <laughs> it's that- It's not fine, it's not fine. <laughs> and you know, once that happened, yeah, you're right. You got, you got scared the first time. Once that happened, I was like, oh, okay. Little girl shows That's up. That's the mechanic. You're getting yeah. <laughs> pulled back in time that's the jump scare and you're right like they kept using it and i would have liked to see uh um a, um a subtle transition of of a 
more like, oh, not this again. You know, we're back into how are we going to get out of here? No, it's just every time you're just constantly on edge. And I think when we were playing uh, the jump scares, there was there was the, you know, the little girl, uh, the little ghoul person grabbing you and pulling you back in time. And then there were some like, you know, demon, you know, um, manifestations that would, uh, you know, be hunting you. And there was a couple of jump scares there, but I didn't I don't remember a bunch. There was more just like a like a tension as opposed to a, a jump scare. But um, there were still some like the moments like in the museum where uh, you've been through the area before and then you're mm-hmm. going through it again and, um, you know, something something's changed or something's broken uh, and it falls apart. It's 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 all very old. So shit's falling apart constantly. But there's also like a lot of confusing moments as you're going through the game uh, and you're kind of trying to piece it together as you go. And it's 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 not really connecting. But I think the, my favorite part about the narrative was those those moments of like, okay, why are we seeing these characters over and over again? So there's, you know, the main cast is like seen at the very beginning in this like house fire incident. And then you're playing as the main cast again. You're slowly realizing like, oh, these are the same characters like the first hour of us playing we're, we're like oh what the, no these are duplicates so what was that before what is this now and then you're seeing slowly these people in the past are the same and it's all like really weird and disconnected and and kind of kind of you're piecing it together you're doing the the you know red yarn dot gif thing yeah where you're, you're piecing it all <laughs> together I, is my favorite way to play these kind of narrative games like i really like when there's like a bigger, grander secret to be figured out, like I like playing detective and not knowing what's going on right from the get go. I find, you know, and we've talked about this many times in the past where the way that I consume media is always trying to figure out the end, like right from the very beginning. Uh-huh. <laughs> so if, if I can figure it out too early, which actually was the case with Until Dawn, I figured that one out pretty fast. Um then, you know, it's still enjoyable. And I did really enjoy Until Dawn, but it's just like this where I where I literally don't put it all together until the very, very end. Then you're like, oh, man, OK, like that was a really fun ride. And I think that there's an uh, you know, we're going to we're going to talk about um, how how everything ends in spoilers after we do the rest of the show. But uh, yeah, like I, I really enjoyed the the ride and i don't think that the um the way that the story ends should cloud the rest of the experience because it was really really good and really really fun yeah i I will say this though i think not knowing how it ends which is we discussed pre-show how we were going to talk about it and i I, having both of us finish a game it's like hey well we might as well talk about the end but let's separate it because i want to make it as easy as possible for people to be like you know enjoy the conversation stay away from it yeah but just (laughs) if you're gonna play it please definitely skip we will have nothing else and there's no bonus there's no after credits like oh what's gonna happen on episode 443 it's like don't worry you'll figure that out next week we often don't talk about it or tease it at the end of an episode anyways but uh (laughs) i i mean yeah no we're gonna do all of our little hope talking tonight but yeah so in terms of the like uh i guess i i that was my fault i skipped ahead to the ending a little bit but (laughs) what did you what did you feel like playing through the story other than having a lot of very telegraphed you know jump scares and and overusing of that kind of thing but 
as the story kind of progressed and we got further and further and we learned more and more, we also kind of got into more and more peril and yes. we did end up losing a character, <laughs> but, um, did you feel like, um, I guess like the just controls wise, like game mechanics wise, like what did you think of little hope? Well, I mean, um, I think with mechanics, so this is the thing, this is a, this is a, a $40 Canadian game. It's, it's a budget price, but it's, um, it's still a premium budget, I'd say. Uh, but th the game looks amazing. Uh, the gameplay is, is really good. There's a little bit of issues with like tank controls. There was some funny moments in on stream where you and I are kind of like, you know, doing a little dance, like bumping our characters together <laughs> accidentally. Oh yeah. Sometimes when we both try to go through the same door at the same <laughs> yeah. time or whatever. Yeah. It's, <laughs> that it's, took away from the experience a little bit. But. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's old school kind of, um, Resident Evil tank controls a little bit when you're, when you're playing is, but it, but, but it never gets in the way of peril. Like when you are in danger, it is, it is a quick time event. And one of the biggest differences between this and Man of Medan, if you played Man of Medan or even until Dawn, uh, which is the previous game from, from Supermassive, uh, they telegraph uh, a quick time event. So as you and I were playing, I would see your character do the movement and then it would be my turn. And it would very clearly, you know, present an icon to you like, okay, you're going to have to jump in a bit. And I think it was a fair enough, um, sort of uh telegraph to say like get ready for the quick time event you know stop watching the cutscene and get ready it never <laughs> it didn't tell you what button you had to press you still had to like choose from the from the four face buttons but honestly most of the but time you knew it was coming like you knew it was and coming. that made it so much easier yeah and i and i think uh they're, they they rely less on the mashing uh and more on the just the button press with the with a very generous timer the only time we had a character die and i will i will fully you know it was my fault uh what happened was it was a it was a button mash moment and it was a character i very much liked uh and i didn't you know she was probably one of the more interesting ones out of the group and uh, i was like oh i better like nes style button mash this thing and i was playing a wired um a wired controller uh and again as i was button mashing i think i was leaning the the connection on my chair and that was causing the controller to disconnect and i think i even got three shots at the button save and i did it every time um <laughs> and uh afterwards when i was kind of complaining like ah i can't believe that happened uh you had mentioned like well you know it's pretty generous and you're right like you can kind of you don't have to nes button mash it you you can just kind of no like you know, i i felt it. like um so there is like a little timer going around the outside and at first i thought i was failing because there's like uh basically there's like a white bar around the indicator of whatever button you're supposed to push repeatedly and that will kind of uh, tick down and then eventually disappear. And it moves like clockwise and it kind of disappears like in, in a clockwise direction. And uh, I didn't realize that was a timer at first. I thought that was my progress bar. But there's actually like a little white circle that starts like a dot in the middle of the button icon. And as you make progress, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger until that white circle, although it's it's slightly transparent so it's it more makes the button look cloudy um but when you're when that's all the way the same size as the button prompt then you're done that's your progress 
And I didn't realize that at first. I thought the white bar around the outside was in progress. And I thought I was failing every single one of those. But then once I realized a little bit later on, like, oh, no, everything's moving forward. As soon as this white circle fills the the button prompt, I was like, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense. We've like, I haven't been failing. This is actually fine. And uh, yeah, so I found I only ever had to push that like maybe five or six times. And the timer was really, really generous. So Mm It was totally my fault. But, I just uh, overreacted, and uh, <laughs> well, you really wanted to save her. She I, was your favorite. I did. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like from you know, from a character perspective, uh, all all of the characters are are interesting. I just found that she had the most. She had the she had more personality than, than the others. That was uh, still within the you know confines of the you know the stereotypical horror uh genre but she was she was she had a little more spice to life than than the rest of the characters like the you know angela being the um the the uptight teacher character or teacher's assistant it was hard to tell i think john was the she professor she was a student she was just a mature student yeah oh, john was well, the teacher and john was the person. one that yeah you totally are. i'm an ageist uh, john was <laughs> the one that i found got on my nerves the most it's just like every time i i had to do anything with him i was like oh you're the worst just let's talk die. about john because <laughs> you're right he is the worst there were literal moments in this game and and again maybe i missed something um and and maybe we'll have we'll have to come back to this you know when we discuss the ending but there will be literal moments where i was playing you know with john in proximity and something would happen and he would just book it just run <laughs> he, he like uh, uh uh i think there was a moment where there's this little shack and i was playing anthony and uh, i'm walking through the shack and we're coming into the to the door and the camera kind of zooms in on the door and then uh, then there's a, this you know bang or this bump and uh it was uh, turned out to be a cat hitting a chair and john just booked it he just he, he literally like kind of made a yay and he ran you know <laughs> and um i just uh i was like what and and you can call him on it later and it doesn't really do anything he's just like well you know i i saw something and i ran like it's really freaky and he doesn't sound like that but uh it's he's weird like a lot of the other characters kind of make sense within you know the context of of what of the information you're given but john just happened to be this anomaly that would like book it at a at a moment's notice and i i didn't understand he was the unreliable character um probably when right he up should until... have been the authority figure right because exactly. he was the one who was supposed to be in charge yeah and, he, and in our playthrough he 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 was drinking you know he he took a shot yeah. and he should not have done that that was a that was a bad <laughs> idea it, it, I, it just it's one of those things where i thought it's like yeah let's take a shot we've been through a bus crash like this is this has been really stressful and then Right off the bat, one of the characters is like, you think this is a good time to be drinking? Like, you're the authority figure here. You're a professor. <laughs> yeah, do you really think that was a good life choice? <laughs> I just found some wish sticks, or witch sticks, I should say. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, we need you with all your wits about you for all the witch sticks. <laughs> I, I thought but... maybe the drink would calm them, but no, it just made them. <laughs> no, it didn't. <laughs> it did not. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like um, there were... Like that was one of my big like mechanical issues wasn't necessarily with the um like the button quick time offense or anything like that. I think that was, you know, pretty well done to the point that maybe it was a little bit overdone with the telegraphing. Like I'm terrible at quick time events. I often fail them and I didn't fail once through the entire game. And I was like, I kind of wish that this was a little bit more punishing 
because I would have liked to see, you know, the characters feel like they were actually in danger. But um, for me, and apparently this kind of plays into what um, options you get and, and you know, how how easy it is for characters to die and, and what your ending looks like and everything else is there's like when you go and look at your characters, there's like locked character traits and I don't know if it was like we should be keeping those things locked or if we should be trying to unlock them or if, how you do that. Like there was this seemingly large because whenever you had dialogue choices, um, there was like a little bit of there was a, an icon of like a head and then there was an icon of a heart and they each one of those would have like a very broad character trait um that was like over top of it and then it would say like oh i don't know like perseverance and like everything will be okay would be your dialogue option or something like that i don't think that was actually a combination but anyways um the point is they would have like things like that like um these character traits and and those character traits would be tied to dialogue choices but it was never really explained like there's no tutorial it just throws you right in and it was never really explained as to like what your goal was interacting with that system and what you should or shouldn't be doing when looking at your character sheets you were like trying to potentially like maximize your relationships i guess but then also sometimes you weren't given the choice to to you know increase your relationships and stuff and i don't know i just felt very lost with the whole personality trait system and i really wasn't sure what my goals were there and how that would in like how that would impact my story going forward and then when we did have the one character die some of her character traits popped up on the screen with little locks next to them and i was like wait should we have unlocked those or not unlocked those or was this good or bad? Like what, what's going on right now? And it kind of impacted the rest of our game because it, I was like, or at least from, from my perspective, I was like, Oh man, okay, let me go see what character traits are still locked on the ones I'm controlling. Let me see if I can unlock those somehow and like choose those dialogue prompts. Cause maybe that means they won't die. Like, I don't know. I was so confused. I was so confused. And even now, like looking it up, I'm like, I still don't really understand how this system works they, <laughs> or they why it's in the game. <laughs> they don't talk a lot about it. Uh, they they give you tutorial for everything else, you know, outside of those dialogue choices. They really leave that up to the player to discover. And I, I think that's where the the branching narrative and, and the, the way the narrative plays out is affected by those traits. And, and really with Man and Medan, it felt more... It felt like it was portrayed better in the sense that you have this this loosely connected group of of folks. I mean, they they have a they have a, a connection in the sense that they're all. I think it was a bachelor party. No, it was like a. It's just it was just a gathering of friends, wasn't it? In Manamadan, I'm trying to remember what the purpose was for them to be out on the boat. Um, uh, I think they were they were diving. Yeah, they so were they, like looking for 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 wrecks. Yeah, um, so it was just like recreational. Yeah. Rex. Yeah, recreational diving. Yeah, yeah. basically. And, <laughs> and in that instance, it really felt like if there were characters where you had a poor relationship or a not or a not perfect relationship, that that affected what happened in the gameplay or how the gameplay was por portrayed. Um, in this one, I never, you know, maybe if uh, those those locked traits, if they had popped, uh, like it was telling me or telling us that when she died, that 
if she had unlocked those traits, maybe she could have saved herself. Um, because in this specific instance, I was controlling Anthony and I had the button prompt to, to try to save her. And who knows, maybe if I hadn't, if, if I got one of them or, or didn't get all of them or however it played out, like maybe I wouldn't have been able to save her if, uh, with those traits locked, like she needed that, those relationship traits unlocked to be able to free herself from, uh, the, the demon monster or whatever that was chasing you. And, uh, it's hard to say like they don't give you that they don't give you that information as you're playing through um and i don't know if that's good or bad because in the sense like I, when we were playing through it's like i just picked either the dialogue option that was the funniest in the moment or just kind of felt right like i didn't i i never really picked strategically outside of the one instance where we were you can make choices so when it's a choice as opposed like you know you have the for example, you find this like little, you know, uh, straw puppet and it's been coming up a lot throughout the game and you have this option like, well, let's just freaking burn it. Like it's obviously evil. And, uh, we had that option and that, that is presented through a dialogue choice. Um, I think we chose not to burn it and I, I think that was, yeah, we chose right not call. to. Yeah. Uh, but uh, other than that, you're just, you're apparently just making... if you do burn it and, and this is maybe a little bit of a spoiler, mm. but um, apparently if you do burn it, it makes it a lot harder to actually get like the good ending air quotes. <laughs> yeah. And I will say this, I, I think, you know, as a preview for what we're going to talk about later, I think we got the best ending. Um, I think we did too. Yeah. And, but uh, aside from the fact that you killed someone halfway through, but I mean, yeah, if that character had survived, we would have had the best ending. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think, I think we, mm, yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't think anything, I don't think that character loss changed anything um, in terms of like how our story ended up. But right. um, I think because we did have a character death, right? Like technically, that's not the best ending. The best ending would have been everybody survives, right? Yes. Yes. Um, you know, I, I think there's one thing we've been, we've been talking about, but we haven't really addressed is like uh, the, sort of the monsters chasing you. And, and from a design perspective, so when you travel back to the 1700s, you're witnessing um, parts of this witch trial, uh, you know, scenario that's playing out. And when you go back in time, you're seeing various people being accused and then, you know, uh, you know killed in specific ways. And the specific way that person's being killed is then represented in this like monster that's chasing you uh through little hope in the present and i really thought which like, are i thought it was really interesting that i mean they um so this is actually based on a real witch trial not the the salem witch trials a different one but hmm. there were so many back then but <laughs> um basically like i really uh enjoyed how they did like the basically historical representation of all of the ways that the people of the late 1600s actually dealt with quote unquote witches, which was, you know, like we had, there was the, the throwing from a great height, which, you know, often would be a cliff. And then there was, you know, the, the tying them down and seeing if they float. And at which point, if they did, they'd be like, aha, see, you are a witch. And yeah, then you, they'd kill you in another no way. What. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they had like the burning at the stake. They had the hanging. They had, you know, the pressing, which is a little known 
like method of execution, which is basically they just put stones on you until you get crushed and die. Like it's awful. And they really like they represented all of that, like historical fact very well in this. And it was like very creepy and effective because you knew it was true, you know? Yeah, there was a so there was a really great podcast series that uh, Aaron Mankey did, the the lore guy, and it's I think it's unobscured season two, and it's all about like the Salem witch trials, and they talk a lot about sort of the the beat by beat of what what was going on in those years, and 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 how the public was sort of receiving this news uh, about their you know their fellow citizens, and I think this game really represents that uh, really well. Uh, you're you're seeing the trials, you're seeing the executions, you're seeing the moments and in, in which like uh, the authority is 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 seeing like aha, see you are a witch. Look at the and you know I don't know. Uh, I think we can you know when you get pulled back in time, um, there's some interesting timey wimey stuff that happens where you are at first you 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 are just a witness, right? You feel as though you're a witness and you're seeing things, but then certain characters usually your doppelganger that you're seeing in the past would would see you and recognize you and as the game progresses you as the character are are you know um you know impressing yourself in the past more and more like there's even an instance where i think it was like you could grab the doll so you were give, sometimes you're given choices to confront or to do another action and i think there was a moment where uh, i chose to grab the the straw doll and when i grab it uh, obviously the characters, my doppelganger who we're interacting with see me, the character grabbing the doll and moving it around. But then the accuser, in this case, I think it was a reverend and some sort of chief of police with a really cool hat. He, uh, <laughs> he just sees a floating doll. So it's like confirmation, like, ah, so you are a witch. Look, you're making the doll float. And I thought like that was in the moment, was, like really cool. And, and also like perplexing at the same time. I was like, okay, how would it's really interesting to see the way the game is kind of portraying all of this and you're, you're left scratching your head. as like, okay, what are the rules here? Well, and that's, you know? Yeah. And that's part of like what the, what the curator says. And, and I think what a, a big theme of little hope is, is that in the end you can't change the past. The past has already happened. And basically the way that the, the curator presents these stories to you, because it was the same sort of thing in Man of Medan, is basically like, you can help and guide the present, but remember, you can't influence the past. And, you know, like some of these events have already happened. And you kind of, um, you get so invested in these characters. And I think that's one of the things that Little Hope does really well, is you get so invested in these characters that you kind of, can't help yourself but to try to intervene which then makes things worse so i like i thought it was really well done it's like you just you totally forget about the curator and his you know kind of um warning or framework or whatever but it's like no like this stuff has already happened you can't actually change it and by you know like trying to help you're actually hindering which I thought it was just really interesting and and fun storytelling because like I know you did it I know um I think you did it a couple of times <laughs> I did it I did it at least once but I because I remember you telling me about the doll because that was one that I didn't get to see mm. and then there was another time where I think I um 
I think I was controlling Daniel and his doppelganger was like getting thrown off the top of the church and I grabbed his hand. And then, so he was floating in the middle of nothing. Like, <laughs> yeah, which was like it, that moment was really interesting because it's exactly what would have happened at those witch trials. If they threw someone off a building and they floated as if saved by their, you know, uh, their devil masters. And it's like, aha, and it literally played out. Like, aha, see, you are a witch because you're, the people you worship are saving you. And then, you, you know, he, he dies anyways because the chief of police guy, like, uses a knife to cut the rope or whatever, which seems to be holding yeah. the character up because that's literally what you're you're grabbing onto. What so you're it, grabbing onto, yeah. It's really interesting. Like, you're not, it kind of goes to show that you're not actually maybe traveling through time. You're more just, you're, you're more, um an image of you is is being projected back and you're being able to eventually you are interacting you're having conversations with your doppelgangers and you know early on it's just like who are you what is this and i'm not a witch i i swear i didn't i didn't conspire with the devil and and it goes right down later on where it's just like you're literally having conversations with people i don't know who you are but this is really crazy right it's like yeah just i know it's weird <laughs> but let's try to figure this out you know and you end up you your characters end up interacting with the past in a way of like let's figure out what's going on because clearly shit that's going wild here is making shit go wild where we are and we need to figure this out and yeah. uh that the way the story progresses in that way really kept me going to the point where i i honestly didn't think we'd finish it like you know i figured let's we'll play three hours we'll get a good chunk of it but but by the time we hit the three four hour mark and we started like shortly after eight um i was like no we gotta we gotta finish this and, and yeah the game, we need to see where this goes yeah <laughs> the game wraps up i i thought really quickly um in the sense that once you you don't realize you're in the the final moments until you're like oh wait yeah we're we're in the final moments you know uh, i felt like we um we had a pretty good indicator of how quickly we were progressing through the story because of those town maps they right. have uh, maps of the town that you can find at various points in your journey. And if you've been paying attention to the locations you're moving through, you can find them on the map and you're like, oh, OK, we've got, you know, like this much left of the map to explore. We've got, you know, now we're halfway. Now we're three quarters sort of thing. And also um, because you do have these um, this kind of like mirror of your current characters versus the characters in the witch trial is when people start dying in the witch trials, then you're like, okay, now we've seen, you know, two of our five characters. Now we're at three of our five characters. So you, so you very quickly began to realize like, Hey, we're, you know, 60%, 70, 80% through because we've now seen the deaths and we've got four ghosts chasing us. Like, mm -hmm. you know, this is coming to a climax, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it, uh, it, yeah, I, I had a lot of fun with it and, um, I was, yeah, I think, I think that's probably a good spot to, to kind yeah. of stop talking about little hope and we'll, we'll talk about the ending, um, after we've covered everything else in the show. Uh, so yeah, if you are going to stick around for our discussion of the ending of little hope, then, um, that will be in approximately like 15, 20 minutes. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's all for now. Overall, I absolutely recommend it. I think it's a great experience. I think it's really fun. Um, Man of Medan went on some pretty big sales um, over time as well. 
you can play this solo. You don't have to play it co-op. But um, yeah, I mean, if if $40 Canadian is a little bit steep for you, um, it, it is a title that I'm sure will go on sale in the near future. So uh, do keep your eyes out for it because I very much enjoyed it. And I think it would be fun um, co-op or single player. But yeah, co-op was was great. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I want to find I'm glad I played this one. I played Man of Medan solo and that was about it. And I'm glad I played this one co-op first to get like a good first run. And then I want to go back uh, solo and kind of try to try to find more of the collectibles. Um, I really I really like the way the game lays out its collectibles and how they're all kind of connected. And as you find more, it gives you more context to the others, literally where the game will put more text on a collectible when you find a connecting mm-hmm. one. It's a yeah. really cool system that rewards you for finding more collectibles within a set. And I think the premonitions are really cool as well. And uh, I'll say this, I didn't realize in Man of Medan and now in Little Hope, they're one of the premonitions, the final one you find, which I guess is supposed to be like unmissable, even though I'm pretty sure I missed it. Or maybe I didn't realize <laughs> I, I saw it in Man of Medan, but very clearly in little hope the last premonition you find is is like i was like who's this blonde lady we haven't met her yet and then you see the trailer for the third game uh which is supposed to come out in 2021 it's like oh my gosh they put a premonition into this game uh for the next one scene from the next one yeah Yeah, it's a really (laughs) cool touch and and the way they're handling this idea of doing a dark pictures anthology series like they're really taking it seriously i I think it's great. Like from a narrative perspective, I really hope they're they're able to continue doing these. I know they. I was looking into it. Like they have eight planned, but mm-hmm. it, it sounds like they're at least confirming the third one is a, is a done deal. So I'm I'm hoping it's um I'm hoping it's well, going been, well. For them. They've been quite successful, and I think um there's been some negative reviews. And I mean, I honestly I've stopped reading reviews because I generally don't seem to agree with them now. Um, <laughs> There seems to be a lot of negativity for the sake of negativity. And I, I thought that this was a really great experience. So, you know, whatever. Um, I, I've kind of stopped reading reviews and I've just been playing the stuff that interests me. <laughs> um, and yeah, like, I don't know. Apparently, like, even if it's has some negative reviews, I know Man of Medan had some negative reviews, too, which at that point, it's like, well, if you didn't like Man of Medan or, or you didn't like Until Dawn, even before that then why are you playing this? Like, yeah. <laughs> this is not the game for you. This is not the genre for you. Like, go find something else. But anyways, I digress. <laughs> um, my point is that even with some negative reviews, they seem to actually sell really well and people are enjoying them. So, I mean, if the game is selling well, then screw the reviews. <laughs> keep making more. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I, I hope they uh, I hope they keep going with this. I, I think it's a really... They've got a really strong character in the curator as well. And whenever he would pop up was uh, that's your moment of respite because it's it's, you yes, know, because <laughs> there's no there's no jump scares to be had where the curator's there. And he just he like speaks in riddles almost like I just I love talking to the curator because he's so like judgmental. And that might be the one thing um, <laughs> that I found with Little Hope more so. I noticed it more so in Little Hope than in Man of Medan. Man of Medan, I don't know if I made all of the choices they expected us to or if um, it was just a little bit more polished. But I found in Little Hope, I could tell 
where like they had um like filmed air quotes different scenes based on the decisions that I'd made and I could I could see the joints in the conversation if that makes sense in little hope like the transition wasn't as fluid it was like oh insert clip here about the death of a character or insert clip here about how you lost the gun or you know what i mean like (laughs) yeah i think this one did you notice those kind of weird cuts every once in a while a little bit i think less in this one i think they're getting better at at sort of splicing them together but yeah when the curator i just don't remember maybe i just don't remember man of medan that much because i don't remember thinking like oh this seems very spliced but I did get that feeling in Little Hope. But it's, a again, a, I feel like a lot of the nitpicks that I have with this game are very, very small. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest problem with Man of Medan and, and Until Dawn was the was the quick time events. And, and they've uh, they've addressed it in this one with with the with the sort of the hey, get ready, you know, the su- and they're subtle, too. Um, so they don't like get in the way of the gameplay. I think that's a big that to me like if you liked man of medan but struggled with the quick time events which to me was the biggest problem probably with with those games is the is the quick time events kind of like popping up uh mm-hmm. in this game you're not going to lose a character because you set your controller down to have a drink and walk, watch a cutscene, right you're going to yeah. know um that something's coming up but yeah like i i think from a review perspective you know, we which is funny as we're sitting here spending the majority of our podcast reviewing the game that we're just like, ah, reviews are stupid. Well, no, I, <laughs> or I mean, I'm saying reviews are stupid <laughs> reviews. It's interesting from from a review perspective, like we on this show, we talk about the games we like. We talk about the games we played and liked. Like, it's very rare. We'll play a game and talk about it and, you know, play a game that we we hated and then talk about it. It happens occasionally. Don't as not, never say never. But Usually we we try to fill our time with games we know we're going to like. Whereas like at an outlet where they are having to review every single game, yeah, like there's going to be some that are more negative. Like if if IGN, you know, knew they had people on staff they knew weren't going to like the game or they they wouldn't have to review, but that's more we're more of a um, like a personality driven as opposed to an editorial, right? So I I think like yeah, if you don't like these games, you're not going to like this one. Of course, it doesn't do enough yeah. with it. To, and, and if it did, we'd probably have issues with that. Like, oh, man, it's I don't know why they they took it away from Why that. did they change it? It was working. This formula is good. This co-op is fun. Like, yeah, so I'm looking forward to just exploring more stories in yeah. their within their formula, because I think they are good storytellers. And, and I think that the mechanics and the co-op is really good. So um on that note let's move on because otherwise i feel like we can just keep going around and around about this game forever (laughs) uh so let's move on and remind everybody that the reason that we played little hope was for extra life so if you guys missed the stream you can go and see the replays uh the vods are saved uh, as far as i know at twitch.tv slash osplays or twitch.tv slash ryan murphy ca you can see uh, both sides of our playthrough if you'd like to support our extra life campaign this year we're actually doing pretty well so far and it hasn't even been our main game day yet our main game day is going to be actually this weekend on saturday november 7th we're actually both in town both able to play on the official extra life game day and i'm really really excited about that so if you would like to support the team you can go to bit.ly slash tgi extra life 2020 and a final reminder (laughs) 
is that if Ryan and I both individually hit $1,500 each for a total of $3,000, then on Saturday, depending on if or when we hit the goal or possibly a later on stream uh, in November or in December, we are going to play Phasmophobia, which is a really big deal. <laughs> yeah. I they've like and they've so they've been doing like some updates they've been changing things they've been putting in some easter eggs they've been changing the behavior of ghosts like there's dude I I think we're gonna die so uh yeah and this is the thing about (laughs) phasmophobia um I and I will say this on the podcast and I mean you could probably have a have, have guessed this from when we talked about it a couple episodes ago like I'm not playing it unless we hit, unless we both hit those goals. Like, I think that's like, I, I cannot stress this enough. This isn't like a, you know, um, the situation of like a dead by daylight or I'm trying to think of another like, uh, cooperative sort of, uh, online experience. I think in this case, like I normally would not play phasmophobia if it not were for, uh, if it were not for a, for a charity. Right. Um, it's just a game that, uh, it's designed to designed to scare you, and I don't, I don't, I don't need that. You know, I don't want to break a controller. You know, I want to, I want to keep my <laughs> controllers intact. Yeah. So uh, make sure that you guys donate to both of us equally and help us hit our goal of fifteen hundred dollars, so that I can see Ryan play Phasmophobia. I mean, <laughs> I'm going to be playing it for the first time too. I am very specifically staying away from it for the time being because i want um my first time experiences to be uh, alongside ryan if we do hit this goal i want this goal to be as meaningful as possible so i also am currently avoiding playing phasmophobia but uh yeah guys i i really want to see ryan do this so <laughs> and and i'm i'm not i haven't watched I've, I've watched clips of of streams and stuff but i'm also not i'm not seeking it out again because like if i'm gonna play it it's gonna be for charity and uh and i'm and that's I'm, the only reason <laughs> i am perfectly fine with that i am perfectly fine with playing this game for charity so if we hit fifteen hundred dollars each which a hundred percent of that goes to our chosen children's miracle network hospital like i, I think that needs to be stressed like every yes, dollar is- of that three thousand goes to uh in this case i guess the specifically charity, yeah. uh, sick kids in sick Toronto. kids yeah. so yeah um just keep that in mind when we uh when we say we're not going to play this stupid scary game <laughs> <laughs> until we hit 3000 <laughs> yeah uh all right so uh one thing that that uh oh what it, what's the sequel to little hope called something about ashes house of ashes which house of ashes or something um one thing that that little premonition kind of reminded me of Ooh. was tomb raider oh and good, good uh, transition we actually have some tomb raider news this week apparently the tomb raider sequel the movie has been delayed indefinitely <laughs> yeah um, so you guys are gonna have to play the sequel to little hope <laughs> in order to get your tomb raider fix <laughs> did you watch the 2018 one with uh vikander i did okay I did. was it good um i enjoyed it i thought it was fine um i mean it wasn't a cinematic masterpiece, but it they was a good are. Tomb Raider movie. Like, I thought it was fine. Um, and I was looking forward to to seeing them continue their story because I really enjoyed the actress that played uh, Lara Croft. I can't remember who it was, but uh, Alicia I thought she Vikander. did a good job. Yeah, yeah. and it was a little bit... Um, like it was grittier, like it was very in line with the game because the the kind of reimagining of the games. I mean, some of those Tomb Raider deaths, like... 
when you like go down the river and get impaled on all of the like branches and stuff like it's bad like it's dark and they kind of um without killing off the main character in the movie they still kind of got a lot of that like grit and danger across um like she seemed to she wasn't like super polished like tomb raiders laura crofts of the past like it was very much like a she's young she's new at this like you know she's learning slash these things are actually really hard irl so she's not a superhero um or not a superhuman um so I, yeah i i enjoyed i i thought it was good i mean i haven't seen it 18 times not my favorite no. movie ever but it, it was good i mean it's a it's a one and done it's decent for sure yeah i i think for me like i i kept meaning to see it and i just haven't had a chance to watch it yet i guess it's on netflix i i should i should watch it but um the idea here with the sequel is that it's as far as i can tell it's written um shot maybe they have to do some reshoots i don't know but it was supposed to come out in march of next year so march 2021 was Mm. its uh, initial release date in terms of being delayed indefinitely i mean the reason i included this is kind of a catch-all in the sense that because of the pandemic a lot of movies are opting to just remove themselves from the schedule and release it when it is um safe to have the same experience in cinemas both from a from a customer perspective and a we got to make a bunch of money perspective so Mm. in this instance you're gonna see a lot of projects it slip both video game related and and not like for example um the uncharted movie we just talked about that one very well could miss its release date of july 2021 and i know that's uh, you know i don't want to bring the room down but this is (laughs) this is something that we should um I mean, if Marvel can't do it, like, I think we, uh, we have to prepare ourselves for this. And I, I mean, I don't want to, I don't necessarily want to do this PSA with the Tomb Raider, Tomb Raider sequel, but, uh, it sounds like we'll have to wait for this one. Um, which I didn't even realize it was coming out so soon. So I'm, I'm fine waiting. I don't know about you, but <laughs> yeah, I gotta... when you don't even realize that something is scheduled and then it gets delayed, you're kind of like, oh, okay, cool. I assumed it was years away anyways, well, if ever. <laughs> now I have an indefinite amount of time to watch the first one. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Yeah. The, there's the bright side. <laughs> True. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> uh, we also had a Nintendo Direct for third-party Switch games that happened today. Um, so what are you stoked about from this? Because I, I kind of, I didn't watch it. I skimmed it, I'll be honest. And nothing really, like, jumped out at me. So, like, what was your big takeaway from uh, Nintendo Direct today? Uh, I didn't watch it either, uh, but I did get the highlights. So the big, the, the two sort of takeaways was uh, were that uh, the Age of Calamity Hyrule Warriors game got a demo, which I highly recommend people check out. It's a really cool way to kind of see the way they've uh, adapted Breath of the Wild into a mm-hmm. into a Warriors into game. a new genre. Yeah, it's really crazy. So um, even if you weren't thinking of uh, getting it. It's worth checking out. But um, two other things were the No More Heroes games, uh, one and two, they are coming. They are out on Switch now, and those are sort of, you know, polished up games. Those were Wii games, and there's a third one coming out next year. So that's that's kind of neat. But uh, the craziest thing is that the Nintendo Switch got a couple of games via uh, cloud versions. So you can now buy and play Control Ultimate Edition on your Switch uh, via the cloud and there is a there is a free app you can download and you can do a 10 minute sort of test and i mean i did test it out it works like i mean if you have oh, literally really? nothing else you can play control on and you really want to play control this is a 
kind of this is a viable way of doing it like it's not perfect don't get me wrong like there's a little bit of a little bit of lag and i and i think i was experiencing some like audio delay on it um you might if you do te- I, I was going to test it out a little bit more and you know ke- connect my ethernet cord for it but uh it it's yeah i was gonna say weird. was that a an internet lag thing or was that a uh... i have no idea it's okay. it's so hard <laughs> to tell these days with um the way technology like it could have been just three or four things all adding up to what was clearly a like you'd fire the gun and, and the sound would happen much much further away than you'd like but um i think it might have been just the way uh the the data was being streamed i i mean i was just playing the demo so um i need to i actually i mean if you play you, they do recommend you play it via ethernet or to have a stable sort of wi-fi connection but uh, yeah, it's it's kind of neat, and I guess Hitman Three is going to be launching day and date as a cloud version on Switch. So uh, it's really cool to see these publishers sort of experimenting with that side of things, um, especially on the Switch when you know it's it's a much easier from a development perspective to set up a a cloud version than to try and port it, um, mm-hmm. and and you know capture that audience that doesn't have uh, another platform to play it on. So from that perspective it's you know if they want to still make a chunk of change and hit that small niche market that only has a switch but is still interested in control or hitman 3 it's an interesting experiment and i and i hope more developers kind of look at that as an option and continue to to work on the tech for sure mm-hmm. and then speaking of working on tech wow shadowlands finally has a release date it is coming out november 23rd uh ryan i know you've been kind of on the fence about this one are you going to be picking it up to play through the story or are you done with warcraft i'm gonna pick it up i i think that uh with cyberpunk delayed into december and there being rumblings uh like i mean there's always rumblings of it being delayed further like but uh i i yeah which i mean that's kind of interesting i didn't necessarily want to talk about it because like you say it's rumblings it's rumors but i mean like man that game so many delays and i don't know why like i guess they've just consistently been trying to get it out on time and you know just pushing it back a little bit at a time but like at this point why not just say you know what let's aim for february and just chill for a bit like (laughs) i think the core issue with cyberpunk is is they are they're trying to release day and date across all platforms and that's yeah you know the current gen systems is what's causing the issues and wouldn't surprise me if it's like the you know original xbox ones and ps4s that are causing the core issues because i mean we've talked about like the half steps and and the issues they they present and and when those issues are going to be presenting is like right at the end of of a generation where you're trying to build a game that is pushing you know hardware on pc pushing hardware on your current consoles pushing hardware on the next gen of consoles and like it's it is interesting in the sense that like they say it's done on PC, it's ready to go. And I mean, how long can your PC folks kind of live with that? I mean, personally, I would love to see the game release on PC if it's done. Um, if they need to delay the current gen of consoles or even say like, I mean, I don't know. I don't envy their position. I think I understand where they're coming from, uh, but I don't think it would hurt sales to say like, okay, here's the PC launch you know it's available on gog and that's it um or steam or whatever depending on you know how they're releasing it but uh yeah to to have it delay again i think i think if they're delaying it again they have to 
be more realistic in how long they're delaying it because what three weeks is is uh is yeah, not they a lot keep of time doing these these like i don't know getting people's hopes up and then like delaying a little bit at a time and it's just like oh man just like come on come on <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I don't know i mean right now it's rumblings um and i would expect if we see another delay from cyberpunk um, there will be there will be more to it than just hey we need more time you know we're gonna wait three weeks I think it'll be more than just a, we're gonna push it one more time because they've already played that card and um, they're already struggling with every time they delay it it kicks up that dust again rightfully so mm-hmm. of you know crunch and putting their developers through more intense um, you know work so I you know it's important and i think they've even lost like 25 percent of their stock value just based on this last delay so there are business ramifications too of of uh delaying just as there are ramifications from from launching a buggy product so they they got to think about that as well Uh, but but in terms of wow um yeah i am i'm probably gonna pick it up i'm gonna play the first uh sort of month or so um i think november 23rd for me is a is a better time frame just because we're kind of skipping over a lot of the bigger November releases. Um, and uh, I do want to experience that story. I think I always kind of pop in for the story, but I'm by no means am I like going to get raid ready. I'll, I'll hit a point where it's like, okay, I've, I've hit my wall. I can't play anymore um, in terms of progression. Uh, but uh, yeah, November 23rd, it, it's a good, it's a good date for us. I know a lot of people were kind of, you know, grumbling about the fact that uh, that's right right before uh, U.S. Thanksgiving. There was like a concern that that might be an issue yeah, for employees. Yeah, so yeah, that release date is is literally like the, the Monday slash Tuesday because it's a uh, worldwide release date. So um, technically, I think it's like 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern on Monday, but then it's like Tuesday for Europe and, and into Asia and stuff. So um, they're kind of straddling that date um but basically that's right before because american thanksgiving's on a thursday right so it's right before the thanksgiving holiday and then the raid releases two weeks after that on i believe december 15th so then teams basically have or i guess um sorry the raid releases for normal and heroic two weeks after launch which is the first week of december then the mythic version releases on the 15th which gives teams who are doing the whole race to world first thing um that only gives them like 10 days before christmas right so it's kind of the double whammy of holidays with this release date but it's also um i believe it's the same date as uh vanilla wow released way back in the day um it's like yeah this exactly the 16th anniversary of the release so yeah, and I can kind of see it from Blizzard's perspective of like, yeah, October release date that worked really well from a you know content and giving our staff time to enjoy the holidays. But if it's if it's not done now, like this November twenty third date, you're looking if you want to avoid the holiday you know um, staffing, you'd have to delay to twenty twenty one. And I mean, um, I don't think the players would like that either. So uh as yeah no they're they they won't be delaying again yeah like you're caught from that perspective you're caught between a a rock and a hard place and i and i see both sides of it but hopefully blizzard is able to um uh properly prepare uh their their teams and allow a majority of them to have a 
a fun and safe holiday, right? So yeah, we'll see how that goes. All right, guys, that's the news. So this is your final warning. If you don't want Little Hope spoilers, if you have not watched our stream, then turn back now. This is the end of the show. There is nothing else here for you. You have been warned because <laughs> the Little Hope ending basically uh, can cloud your entire experience if you haven't played it through for yourself yet. Um, it definitely puts like a different lens on it in a way that could potentially change how you view the entire game as you're playing through. So we don't want you to spoil that experience. So if it's an experience that you want for yourself, stop listening to me right now. Turn the show off. Be like episode 442 is done and over and there was no 10 minutes at the end that I need to listen to. <laughs> Just <laughs> pretend it's static white noise. <laughs> exactly. But uh, yeah, so. I think that there's a lot of uh, we were speaking about the reviews of Little Hope earlier on, and I think that a lot of the reviews of the game are, again, taking this lens and looking back at the experience instead of looking at the experience of the game for what it is. They're taking the ending and then applying that to the entire game. And I don't necessarily think that that's the right way to review a game. I think that you can experience the game and enjoy the game. And I don't necessarily think an ending can or should like ruin something because, and, and I'm, I'm saying that as something as someone who really liked the ending. So maybe that's the difference. Like I thought that overall it was a really interesting exploration and commentary on like both physical and emotional trauma and like PTSD and you know, like it was, it was a really, really interesting story. And it did the same thing as Man of Medan, which is basically like put a very real cause to explain a quote unquote supernatural phenomenon, which mm -hmm. I, I really enjoy. And it's yeah. something that I was kind of looking for, but even though I was looking for it, like knowing how Man of Medan ended like i got so caught up in little hope and the story that they were telling it almost like i forgot that thread of like trying to find the real reason or you know the the reality behind the hauntings and and the ties between and you know trying to figure out the story and everything else like i lost that thread of finding reality and I kind of think that was the entire point of the game i think yeah. it was brilliant <laughs> yeah i mean they don't telegraph it in little hope uh as much as they do in man of medan where in man of medan you literally find a well hey this is uh there was some sort of nerve gas and and i think yeah um man of medan and it, is... like it's funny because in little hope they kind of um like there there's hints mm -hmm. there are like things that could point you in that direction and and one of the things that um we talked about pre-show is the idea that um in every single um instance of one character being saved by another the character doing the saving is always the same character so um basically uh anthony is the character who had survived the house fire in the 70s he's grown up he's the bus driver uh, the bus crashes and then like the basically the curator is telling you in every single one and all the hints he's talking about um, 
like forgiveness, forgiving yourself, um, dealing with your inner demons. Like it's, it's all very, um, inward focused. And he tells you multiple times, find the bus driver. And we kept looking, we thought that the bus driver was somebody that we had to save. And then in the end that kind of ended up to be true, but we thought he was like the final sacrifice of the witch hunts or something. Mm -hmm. But in the end, he was just the survivor of the house fire and all of these characters that he was trying to save was just like his after, a, you know, again, bus crash, head injury. Um, as he was walking through his childhood town, he's basically being confronted with and journeying with the ghosts of his dead family. And it was so interesting in that way that all of these characters were like in his head and he was trying to find forgiveness for being the only one to survive that house fire. Like, I don't, I thought it was a brilliant way to end it. And I think a lot of people looked back on it and felt like cheapened that like, it, well, I mean, in your case, Ryan, you were trying to save and failed to save a character and it's like, oh, but that wasn't a real person anyways. Yeah. Like, well, it, it was to him, you know, like, so it made I, me I don't feel know. a it little bit better. At, yeah, know. it didn't cheapen, it didn't cheapen my experience, but I know that that's one of the criticisms that has been um, like levied against the, against the game is saying like, oh, well, nothing actually really mattered because it was all in his head anyways. It's like, yeah, but it well, mattered to him. It, it, <laughs> you know, <if> like <laughs> there, there. So, I, I mean, I have friends, um, you know, Lou, uh, for example, on uh, my co-host on Zombies Eight One podcast, I wouldn't recommend this game to him because I know once he experienced that ending, the whole thing would fall apart, you know, and, and his, his, and I mean, I'm putting words in his mouth, so maybe I should you know, actually <laughs> talk to him about this, but if I feel for some folks, when you experience this ending, it could invalidate the entire journey. Whereas when you and I played it, I think we had the opposite reaction where... Yeah, it, it validated the journey. <laughs> it, it explained so much. Yeah. Like Man of Medan, once you figure, once you figure out the... Once you have the ending, it explains so much about what took place that seemed supernatural or even a plot hole. You know, like even the time travel stuff. In, in context, it works. Like in, in the moment, it works because it feels as though oh this is a really how is this going to play out can i impact the past like but at the end it's like no you were just you were just moving through this person's sort of uh you know uh, insanity or or not insanity but well, just and emotional apparently, journey right um something that i didn't realize but like you uh, basically it all comes back to how much attention you really paid to the prologue um, mm. because apparently when he's a teenager one of the things he's talking about because he's got this alcoholic father and so one of the things he's talking about is actually like how he copes with that, which again, because we played in a co-op way, that's something that I would have seen that you wouldn't have seen because you played uh, the female character. I can't remember what her, her name was. Was it Tanya? Yeah. Um, right. It was Tanya in the seventies and it was Taylor in the, in the modern time. Yes. Um, so uh, yeah, Tanya which you played as you had to go find the girl, like find the sister I played as Anthony. And so part of that, like what I, and I might've even been part of the conversation that we had in the front hall when you got home, I don't remember. But anyways, one of the things he mentions is a way to escape from his life with this alcoholic father and all of these foster kids is he talks about how he like reads horror books and is really into like the occult and black magic and stuff. And that's, 
his hobby that he uses an, as an escape. And then when he's driving the bus right before the crash, there's actually a, like an occult book on the dashboard in front of him while he's driving. So it's huh. like they're they're hinting that his like interest or hobby or obsession with the occult and with the witch trials that happened in his town when he was growing up in Little Hope uh, very much influenced his coping mechanism. So then you have this like family trauma tied to the this like escape mechanism and that kind of comes together when he's presented with the town that he fled um like you know all of that kind of comes together in this like psychological break and i thought that was just absolutely brilliant mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and again like i said when you had to um like when you were trying to save characters, when when one of the other characters was intervening in order to save the life of one of the uh, friends in uh, friends, family members, however you want to think of it, one of the group, the person doing that was intervening, the only person that could actually save them. It was always Anthony, which, again, I thought that was such an interesting twist is yeah. like he was the one that like if you were paying extraordinarily close attention like the clues were there it wasn't smacking you in the face like hey toxic like <laughs> man yeah. madan was well we 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 clued into a, a couple things when we were playing in the sense that when the ghosts were chasing you there would be sometimes moments of like protect this person distract from this other person uh and mm -hmm. you you could tell the ghosts were clearly chasing their doppelganger so you could piece it together in so the past you saw someone was drowned and then mm -hmm. in uh in the present the the monster was clearly that that drowned person and was chasing after uh the doppelganger uh, and and you could kind of right. Say, oh, so then you had the choice of yeah. either saving, uh, like it was saving one of two people. And had you chosen wrong, then the doppelganger would have, or the the ghost would have gotten their doppelganger sort of thing. Yeah. And so, you know, like so we we did pick up on some of those things. You're right. Yeah. And um, I think you know when you experience the end, and when you get to the end, and it all kind of. You're given that final piece of the puzzle where you're discovering like it was just older Anthony wandering through this old town. The old town was abandoned for perfectly legitimate reasons. The factory closing down, there being no jobs. And yeah, there's maybe some you kind of have to like brush away some points to, to understand fully why a town would completely be abandoned. But, you know, when it was abandoned in the 70s, that was a time frame when like if there were no jobs in a town, you kind of had to go elsewhere. You couldn't work from home over the internet um, yeah. in the seventies, but you, you come across this like lone person who lives there, which um, is, is the boyfriend of Tanya from the seventies. Uh, there's like these little hints as you go, you find the graveyard, you go through a graveyard and you find all the grave sites of the people who died in the fire. One of the grave sites has flowers on it. So you're like, Oh, someone's here like tending to these graves. I think you caught on to that or, you know, before I did, in that Vince is the boyfriend um, that you see at the start of the game. Uh, mm -hmm. And he's clearly leaving flowers for Tanya uh, at Tanya's grave. But they they don't outright state that Anthony survives 
um, at the beginning of the game. They don't. Yeah, you see him basically running back into the fire, mm-hmm. um, but you don't see the outcome of that. It's not until uh, very far through. I think it's when you're actually in the factory. Yeah. You're pretty far into the game, and then you find a newspaper. Again, if you're if you're able to find that collectible, you find the newspaper that says, oh, by the way, um, one of the one of the kids did survive. Anthony lived, or whatever, and and that's kind of like a whoa, because we were still trying to figure out what happened to him. Because at that point in the game, we had seen you know like uh one character after another after another die in the witch trials, but we still hadn't seen the outcome of Anthony's character. And I remember saying at one point when we were more than halfway through the game, given and I mean I was doing a lot of um I was playing through as um the Tanya and um the Tanya and Daniel characters, I, I controlled them quite often. I didn't control Anthony very often. And I remember saying like, oh man, like I feel like I don't know very much about Anthony. Like he's been this like background character. We haven't even seen him in the past yet. Like what's going on with this guy? Like maybe he's really the bad guy. Like he seemed um, important in some way that I couldn't put my finger on. And yeah, then obviously his story ramps up a lot near the end. He is the, the kind of climax of the story in many different ways in, in all of the timelines. And uh, yeah, I thought it all came together really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I, I agree. I, I think the explanation, as you said, the explanation to explain all the supernaturalness was, was actually more believable in this one than man and Madan, like just some psycho nerve agent from man and Madan. And mm-hmm. then this is just, you know, one man's, um, you know, mental anguish and it kind of, you know, extrapolates from there. And and it really helps explain everything that goes on, all the doppelganger stuff like that was so weird as you're playing through. I never once thought like, maybe it's all inside the bus driver's head. No. (laughs) When you say it like that, like that would frustrate some people, especially this kind of, you know, that reaction kind of reminds me of, of The Last of Us Part Two. You had people who experienced the leak and these critical plot moments and then completely wrote the game off based on on Mm -hmm. those moments and i mean i really believe that if you were interested in uh you know little hope and found out the ending you might completely write off the game and i and i think yeah not knowing it helps your enjoyment of of the game but knowing it that's why we we wanted to separate it because i think knowing it does you know ruin a, a good chunk of the experience but it doesn't invalidate it once you've played the whole product i think uh mm-hmm. and you know we got um we got the best ending i'd say after doing a little research even though we finished around 1 a.m we still stuck around on the call after the stream to kind of dig a little bit and yeah. um i think i i did some digging i think if tanya had lived the ending wouldn't have been Maybe there was one extra note where you get a, you get a, I think you get a conversation with Vince that we never mm. saw. You kind of go back to the house and sit on the stoop and then Vince comes and talks to you and says, Hey, it's not your fault, but don't come back, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Cause, Cause you're literally, you're wandering through, like you get the, you get the perspective of, uh, they show the clips of Anthony walking through the town and it's like kind of a little bit of this, you know, g- you know, glazed stupor and Vince yeah. is just 
kind of following you around town to make sure you don't kill yourself. Yeah, to make sure you're okay. Yeah, because Vince is like the only one left. It's He's like caretaker of a ghost town, basically. Yeah, which, which is, you know, a real job, actually. Uh, you can, you th- those people, there are people that do that, you know, like uh, <laughs> care for a town. Um, and I thought it was, uh, I thought that was really cool. But yeah, like if we had saved everyone, we would have got that moment. Uh, there's a moment where you throw a gun away. Uh, well, I, you don't throw a gun away. You can, you find the gun and as Anthony, you find the gun and then Angela, who would have been, who is your mother, your, yeah. now that you realize it's your, it's the mother character. Um, she's, she says, give me the gun. And I chose to give it to her and she throws it away, which again is a very, you know, mom thing to do. Like I'm protecting my son. I'm throwing this gun away. We don't need it whatever's going on here we definitely don't need a gun it's only gonna hurt someone and i think i had actually said that when we were playing i was like kind of glad she threw it away because we just we both know i was gonna shoot someone in the bushes like someone was gonna come yeah. at us and, like, <laughs> and then it was gonna accidentally be my main character or something <laughs> yeah yeah and and i think there was even a premonition you said like oh anthony has the gun and he's pointing it into the forest and and i had seen a premonition of uh the bus driver having the gun to his head uh, and I kept thinking like, oh, the bus driver is going to come into this and someone's going to have my at gunpoint. Maybe I killed him because the gun was thrown. Someone else got it. And like, it's the Scooby-Doo moment of like, it was me all along, this guy in a mask and I have the gun and I'm going <laughs> to shoot the bus driver. Uh, but it actually turns out like if you, at the end, you're given a choice to, um, blame the Reverend, uh, or blame Mary, who's the child, the child in the 1700s. Yeah. And obviously we chose the Reverend because he's clearly like this guy who's like. Well, I was adamant because of that, um, the plaque that we found that described basically um, she was she was basically a normal kid. And then uh, she came into the care of the Reverend. And then after that, she started acting out and and um, like basically accusing all of the townspeople of witchcraft and, and everything else. And so I was like, so. She was totally fine and normal mm-hmm. until she, you know, came under the influence of this man. And it's like, well, that, you know, I was adamant. I was like, that something's wrong there. It's not her fault. Like, she's not, you know, she's not the responsible party here. Well, then everything was <laughs> like her mirrored. problems didn't start until after the priest. Right. Yeah. And everything was kind of mirrored. So maybe we missed some points or we missed some context of the 70s where so the 70s stuff and in the context of the game is what actually happened um outside of maybe like there's some there's some uh, witch stuff that or demon stuff that kind of appears a little bit in the intro but it's very subtle and it could very Mm -hmm. much be just the um uh, like you were saying the coping mechanism of of liking you know reading about the occult and witches and stuff um but uh you know maybe there's something there that you're it's very much illustrated that this is an adopted family um i don't i think maybe it's hard to say like it, it very much felt like the mother and father in the 70s they, did you get the sense that they were all adopted it felt like some of the like there was some setup there where they were telegraphing oh this. yeah i don't think i don't think any of the kids living in the house were biologically belonged to either one of those parents right so the re- and and this is the other thing when you're in the past all the characters were fit with faces were people that showed up in the 70s. I don't know if the chief guy did, the the police, the enforcer, I'll say. I don't remember seeing him, but maybe I missed that. But like the judge shows up. He's the neighbor who shows up in the 70s. 
Um, I think um, the cop at the very beginning that tells oh. you the roads closed, that's the, the sheriff or whatever, the enforcer in, in, the, you are witch, right. in the witch trials. <laughs> I missed that. So maybe... He's only in the story very, very briefly. <laughs> and at the very beginning, is, it's such a throwaway that you, I, my mind put it aside. But I think with the Reverend in the 1700s, maybe there's something there where uh, the little girl you took on, the family took on... Um, the re- th- that reverend character was was a was a man in her life in the seventies that that caused her to to turn into this um sort of this yeah, child. I I didn't interact with her at all. Mm-hmm. Um, Anthony's story was all about interacting with the alcoholic father. Um, and then trying to save his baby sister. I had the choice of trying to save the younger sister or trying to save the older sister and i chose the younger so sorry ryan <laughs> and then I, I accidentally see this and is why you don't wear a ryan scarf accidentally hung himself yeah <laughs> and and this is the thing it's like it's kind of it's kind of odd because in the 70s like it's very much a house fire but a lot of the deaths were were pretty were pretty gruesome like uh it was very oh, yeah, final destination the- style <laughs> It was. It was so Final Destination. And they all mirrored. And I think that this is, again, why these parallels kind of were drawn in the mind of traumatized Anthony is because like each of them died in a way. And and when I ran back into the house to try to save the younger sister, I saw her like burning up, like as if she was burning at the stake on the stairs. Um and so uh, it's very much like, you know, you have the the one thrown from a great height and impaled. You have the the you jumping off the balcony and getting your scarf caught and accidentally hanging yourself. You get the dad where the second story um, like collapses on him and he's pressed to death, basically. Like it all very much mirrors the um, the deaths or the the styles of execution from the witch trials, which then I think just further cements those um events in his psyche as being you know related or you know like if he was going to have a psychotic break or you know brought on by a head injury and confronting his past like this like it's not a huge stretch to see the how those events are are kind of tied together but yeah it was a very final destination <laughs> yeah um and i mean uh like there's so i guess like if you chose to accuse the uh, mary of being the witch they do burn her at the stake, and and that's something you would see. And then that triggers uh, the bad ending um, of of essentially all the characters dying uh, outside of Anthony, uh, and then him having to live with that. And and turns out if you don't throw the gun away, and he has it on him, um, and you get the bad ending, uh, he kills himself. <laughs> so uh, very very dark. <laughs> ending yeah uh, not something i i would have like that would have to me i hate getting that in any video game i hate getting the bad ending i'm glad the yeah. bad endings exist but from a perspective of playing even a well, five yeah, you want to have kind of like you want to have stakes right like you yeah. don't want everything to just always um be guaranteed to get a nice bow tied on it <laughs> yeah but i, I mean, guess i i understand that for sure but, but you never want to get it <laughs> i never want to get it because to me it's like i went through this whole journey and this is this is totally a me problem in the sense that i went through this whole journey and if i were to get the bad ending the first thing i'd say is like well geez now i have to play it again to get the good ending or else i'm not going to be satisfied um but i have no intention i I would youtube i'll youtube the bad ending before i go back and deliberately make bad choices uh to get the bad ending right Mm -hmm. um although maybe 
maybe you could go back and make some pretty critical choices at the very end because it was very binary at the end where like you didn't have to do a bunch of stuff to get the option to accuse Mary. You just kind of had it at the end. So you might be able to experience that without much effort because there's like chapter select and stuff. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I think the ending, it we definitely got the, you know, good ending. And then there's probably like a best ending we could have we could have had if I hadn't tried to <laughs> NES button mash. But yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I very much enjoyed it. I I think it's it's a game uh worth experiencing with without this spoilery knowledge, but once you've finished it, I think there's like like any great narrative game, there's a lot there to sit and be like, "Okay, we got to dig into this, like how it all connected and and I I really felt that when we had finished it cuz for the most part it was like I thought, "Well, when we finish the stream, I'm going to go to bed." But no, we were we were digging into guides and figuring shit out like yeah <laughs> after we had stopped streaming at one in the morning yeah uh, so no it, it was a it was a great time and i and the only thing i wish is that they could crank these out faster you know because this right? is a year and some <laughs> after man and madan right so yeah and i mean to be fair this was supposed to come out in the spring and then got delayed right so yes they yeah. were hoping to crank these out faster and then you know 2020 happened so uh, i personally am looking forward to 2021 and to see the next story it looks um I, I don't know. It like I said, it looks very Tomb Raidery. Um, I'm obviously gonna buy it, play it, and probably stream it. But um, yeah, they didn't give too too much away in the um in like the trailer. It looked very um modern in comparison, I think, to Man of Medan and Little Hope. So I'm I'm interested, but um, it's definitely a departure. I felt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's different enough yeah. for sure. Definitely. Uh, so I think that's going to do it for us tonight. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you go over to patreon.com slash the gamers in, you can support the show or you can join the conversation at bit.ly slash TGI discord. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter. You can find me Jocelyn at Joss plays. Ryan is at R Murphy. And don't forget to follow the show at the gamers in. Thanks for staying at the gamers in. Remember tune in next week. Bye everybody. Bye everyone. Yeah.